I want to talk to you guys um, about where we're at in the youth. And when, I, when Aaron first asked me to do this, I said, am I, am I just speaking about youth? Am I, am I preaching? And he said, better be a little bit of both. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I went back, I prayed about it, and I just kept being brought back to this message I did over in the youth back in the fall. And um, it was one of the first series that I sat down and just everything, every, it was a four-week series, every piece of it came from God, not from going to websites and, and other people's materials. It just, God just poured this thing out. And I think it came from God in the way it did because I saw this need in our, in our youth, not just in our church, but, you know, I'm out at Amy's school all the time and I see kids there that are completely lost and the stuff that I'm hearing from my own kids when they come home from school. So the series was titled Sucked In By Sin. And uh, it was three weeks of messages that led up to the one I'm going to share with you today. So I want to give you a brief overview of what those were about. Um, the first one, the first week, was the hardest message I've ever given to your kids. I struggled with it, um, preparing it, and I kept asking myself, I've got the youngest kids in our youth group. My kids just came in from Club 56 this year. If I feel comfortable talking about this with them, then I'm going to feel comfortable with anybody. It was on sexual sin. We started back in the book of Genesis, and we talked about how God created sex and, and that it was originally intended to be a beautiful thing that he made for us. Um, we looked at what God intended for it to be like, and then we talked about no matter how big or small the sexual sin is in your life, that it's going to cause distance between you and God. Um, we talked about the damage it can cause in your life, in your future relationship, in your uh, present relationship, and in your marriage someday. And how we talked about it's just not worth it. I did a demonstration that day, and I took a piece of duct tape, and I went around the room, and I stuck it on several kids. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And I came back up to the front, and I held up the sticky side of that duct tape. And I showed them that every person that that duct tape touched, it brought a piece with them. And it left a piece behind. You could see on their clothes sometimes where I went from one person, and it left lint from the last person, and, and so on. And we talked about how that is us when we decide to get involved in sexual sin and we give ourselves to people over and over and over. We continue to carry one piece of ourselves onto the next person and give it away and we leave a piece of ourselves behind and we take a piece of them with us and how that was never the way God designed it to be. And then the last thing we discussed, like we do always at the end of every message, is no matter how messed up you are in something like that, God's got a way out that he's ready to forgive you and he wants you to walk away in freedom from that sin. The second week, we talked about letting things in your life um, come before God. And we talked about how those things don't have to be a sin to become a sin in your life. They just have to be one place higher than God. Now, we used a lot of examples of things that we can put before God. And uh, we talked about how there's nothing wrong with having multiple things in your life that are important, but they have to have a healthy priority in your life. And if they were honest with themselves and there was one thing in their life that was at a higher or just as high place as God, then it was a sin. Um, that day I went up to eight people before the service started and I told them something and I said, when I call on you, I want you to repeat back what I told you. And throughout the service, I called on those eight people and each one of them responded, you told me I was first in your life. And I said, there's no way eight things can be first in your life. It's completely impossible. Everything has to have a priority and God has to be at the top of that list. That's what he wants from us. He wants us to be uh, in a relationship with him where he comes first so he can use us and work through us. We close that day by talking about if you're putting anything, I don't care what it is, higher than God, it's causing a sin in your life. And I asked them to evaluate their life that day and ask God to help them make the changes they needed to. The third time, the third week, we talked about where is the worship in your life. 
I ask the question, where is the worship in your life? Do you worship with God with um, all the things of your life, or do you leave worship at church? Do you worship God for the right reasons, or are you trying to impress him and others around you with your acts of worship? I said, does your private worship outweigh your public worship? Because it should. And finally, is your worship to God or your lack of a direct relationship with, uh, a direct reflection of your relationship with Jesus Christ? They were tough questions, but I thought they were all worthy of answers. I asked the kids that day to get real. I asked them not to worry about the person on the left or right of them, but to ask God, do I worship you enough? And if I don't, please point out all the aspects of my life where I should be. Um, And that brought us to today, the fourth message in this series. And it started with a question. I asked the kids, has God opened your eyes over the past few weeks? And even if you weren't struggling with something we specifically talked about, has he pointed out something in your life that you do need to work on? I believe God takes messages like that not to convict us and make us walk out of there feeling horrible, but instead to look at our lives and see where we could have including him more and what would our life look like if we did. I think there comes a point in our life where we have to look at the own sin that we have in our life, our own sins. And when we do, we have a choice. We can face it and deal with a loving and caring God that wants to deal with it with us, or we can run away in it and continue down that path of shame. And to be honest, that's where this message picked up with the kids, and today it doesn't. Um, This is where I felt like God struggled with me this past week, and this message got completely rewritten. There's going to be parts of it the kids recognize, but for the most part, this is where it takes completely off in a different area. Because I didn't feel like God wanted us to deal with the sin today, but deal with why is the sin there to begin with. And if you do feel like you live a pretty good life, why? Because I think we don't ask ourselves that question enough. So we're going to start today in Galatians 5, which I found out, I think that's where Patrick started last week as well. So we're all going to be uh, well-versed in this by the time we're done. We're going to focus on verses 1 through 6 to start. might still have a bookmark from last week. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly wait by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I want to start with verse 1 there and talk about what Paul said about it is for freedom that we've been set free. I read that and I asked myself, what, are we, what have we been set free from? And several things came to my mind, but the first was we've been set free from being our own God. I think up until that point when we meet Jesus Christ, we go through life trying to figure out things on our own and we fail quite a bit at it. And we walk through life trying to find a purpose and we struggle with that. 
And sometimes people are into their late adult years still trying to find a place in life that they fit in or they were supposed to do with their life because they've just never been able to figure that out. Instead, we have a caring God who wants to walk through us in life. And he wants to use us and give us that purpose. I think the other thing we've been set free from, and I hope you understand this, is empty religion and a fear-based behavior modification. Meaning that someday we're going to stand before God and point back to all the acts that we did and expect to get into heaven just because of that. Paul mentioned slavery there. He speaks of being enslaved. And I think the thing he's speaking of is being enslaved to the world. That there's no freedom and feeling like we have to fit into the world to find acceptance. He talks about we need to be set free to something. He says, it is for freedom that we've been set free. So set free of living in fear of our own salvation. And set free to feel secure in what we have through Jesus Christ. Set free from being our own God and set free to submitting to a real living God. We're set free from a fear-based behavioral modification into a love-based heart transformation. I think we do a lot of things out of fear, and we don't find any joy in it. And then we get to a different place in our life, and we can do that exact same action and realize that it was joyful that time. And if anybody in here has ever been asked to do something that you didn't volunteer for, either through the church or through a ministry or something, and you just felt obligated. You just felt like, you know what, the Bible says I'm supposed to do this stuff, so I'm just going to do it. And you got through it, and you're like, that was horrible. I just wish I had not even done it. And you found no joy in it whatsoever. And then you got to a different place in your life, and years later you were involved in that same ministry. Maybe it was a Kingston Fun Fest or something. And you got through that day, and you were like, wow, that was a completely different experience. Well, maybe it's because you've gone through a completely different transformation. And the things that you did out of fear of obligation before was done out of love this time. Paul tells us uh, in that same passage there to stand firm. And Paul's talking about standing firm on the salvation that Christ gave us. He knows if we don't stand firm, then we're going to slip back into living under the law, which is what Christ came to save us from. And we slip back into thinking that way. We convince ourselves that we can either buy our way into heaven or do something that keeps us out. And we find ourselves constantly trying to live by the rules. When life becomes about rules, we think of something goes wrong and God's not going to bless us. Or he's gonna, life is going to get bad for something we did or did not do because we're not living up to his expectations. But what Jesus came to offer was far beyond rules. It cannot be bought. It cannot be earned. It's offered to us free, and it was an entirely new way of life. It was a transformation. It was a life outside of rules. In verses 3 and 4, Paul warns us, if you live by the law, then you will be alienated from Christ. He says, if you let yourselves live by the law, then you better be prepared to live by all of them. None of us could do that. There isn't a person in this room that could live by every law that there was and make it into heaven. And God knew that, which is exactly why he sent Christ down here. I don't want to disappoint anybody, but I wrote down on your best and most holy day of your life, you're nowhere worthy of God. And I think we forget that. And so we think we can earn our way into heaven, which is a ridiculous thought. I don't think any of us are going to stand before God someday and go, oh, do you remember that thing I did? And he's like, I completely forgot about that. Come on in. 
You know, it's just, but we think that way sometimes. You know, I do all these acts. God's going to remember these things I did, and that's what I'm going to be judged for. All through these verses, Paul said we should be changed when we accept Christ. And those external things don't matter anymore. Only life in the Spirit can transform the heart. And faith in your salvation through Christ, expressed through love, will change your outside. This is what he means by it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. Those are outward things. The real question is, have you been changed? It's still so easy to do all the right things for the wrong reasons, though. And that's what I was thinking about with today's message. We don't sit in here as a congregation of lost people. I hope not. So how do we know what motivates us, fear or love? We constantly are modifying our behavior out of fear so that we can someday make it into heaven. I think a lot of us have been brought up that way. And we have to be careful because the Bible says that someday we'll stand before God and say, Lord, Lord, look what I did in your name. And he'll say, I never knew you, though. Go away. God wants all of our actions to be motivated by the love we have for Christ. It doesn't matter what the action is if the motivation behind it wasn't correct. So how do we figure out if we're being motivated by love or fear? Drop down to verses 13 through 15 with me. It says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Do you live your life full of the excuse of unforgiven? I think a lot of us do. We go through our day-to-day actions and we just think, you know what? It's okay that I had a bad day. I'm forgiven. And we use that as an excuse. We are forgiven, but God expects more than that. He warns us not to use our freedom, and I wrote, or forgiveness to indulge in the flesh. But instead, that should drive us to be serving one another humbly. And I underline the word humbly there because I think it's really hard to be serving somebody humbly and let the flesh have control of your life. They completely oppose each other. If you want to do a gut check of whether you're being driven by fear or love, ask yourself this question. Am I threatened by somebody else's spiritual growth? Do I worry that that makes me look less holy when somebody I'm close to is spiritually stronger than I am? Or worse yet, are you secretly sometimes finding pleasure in a person that you thought was holier than thou and they make a mistake? And you all of a sudden feel a little more human. The verse goes on to say, the entire law, the entire law is fulfilled. If you live under the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. If we do love others the way we love ourselves, then it's not hard to rejoice in their growth. You find yourself genuinely hurting when they hurt because your heart has been transformed by the Christ and the Spirit. You don't fear what your salvation looks like to others now because you have the faith and security that it's through Jesus. So your brother can be stronger than you. Your sister can be stronger than you on a day-to-day basis if you're going through a season. But you know that Christ is the reason that you have your salvation and you don't fear of what you look like next to them. Verses 16 through 18 say, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other 
so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul explains there that there are two opposing forces, but he's very careful to say, only after you've accepted Christ are there two opposing forces. From that point, you've been letting your flesh drive your life. It's after you accept Christ that your flesh and the Spirit go to war. The flesh would love for you to live a legalistic life, only looking at the rules, asking yourself, did I do the right thing? If I do these things and I don't do these things, I'll make it into heaven. The flesh tells you to compare yourself to somebody else to gain your self-esteem. There's always going to be somebody worse than you. The flesh wants us to fear losing our spot in heaven. When we have that fear, when we walk around with that kind of fear, we're completely under Satan because we don't have any security. We can't walk around feeling confident in what we have and offering it to somebody else because we're always scared we're going to lose it. But the Spirit says no. The Spirit says Christ paid the way for you. Put your salvation in him and let me lead you. When you live a life led by the Spirit, you're not under the law because the law doesn't desire, I'm sorry, the heart doesn't desire the things of the law anymore. Like Paul said in verse 6, the law is external. And all that does is expose the internal realities of you. But the Holy Spirit really shows what's working on the inside. People like to point, this is probably the hardest part I wrote in this message. People like to point at their actions and say, wow, that was a really ugly action. And I would say, no, you're just really ugly. You need to look on the inside. I'm not trying to hurt anyone. I'm just trying to be honest. We like to separate those two things. We like to say, I'm not a liar. I just lie. We like to say, I just have a pornography problem. I just have a problem with anger. I would disagree with you. When you get right down to it, you need to work on the heart that led you into that action, not the action. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to point out the place in your heart that you're not trusting God. And that place is what allowed you to do that action. Really up until that point, it's still the flesh in control, keeping you enslaved. The flesh is crying out, I want this for me, I want that for me. But when you've been transformed by the Holy Spirit, you're saying, I want what God wants for me. And I'm content with that. So that brings us down to verses 19 through 26. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who become, I'm sorry, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with the passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. When I read that, I thought, man, 19 through 21 sounds just like the world we live in today. And I didn't want to get into 19 through 21 because I think it just feels like where we're at in society. I could see every one of those things in the news that I watch every day, 
in the world that I look at through the internet. These are the things that our flesh cries out for and I wrote that our culture gives into. But I do want to key in on verse 22. The word fruit. Notice that word is not plural. It does not say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. It is not up for picking. God does not call us to one or part of those things. They are one. You cannot say, I have the gentleness thing down, but not the self-control. They're one. They're a description of the heart that Jesus says should be motivated by loving one another. To say that I have one without the other would be saying I have a car without an engine and it's still complete. No, it is not. It does not work right without the other. And that's the way God designed the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says those who belong to Christ, these should be your desires. The fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit should be your desires. The flesh has been crucified when you accept Christ. Or at least it should be. The need for fear is gone. You now have the Spirit to lead you if you let it. And it will keep you in step. If life is hard, I would ask you to ask yourself, is it because I'm not letting the Spirit keep me in step? And then in verse 26, he comes back to our interactions with others like he always does. And it's always about love. Let love be the motivating factor. Don't envy each other. Don't be conceited and don't provoke one another because there's no room in that for fear. Fear will always keep us in this world. That's what its job is. If you obey God out of fear, out of rules and out of laws, he is nothing more than a ruler to you. He is not a God. I think our culture is on the path that it is because of our corrupted view of God. I believe that there was a time when we had a great love and desire for what God had for us, especially as a country. But I think over time, the love faded and we respectfully still feared God. We kept his commandments and we obeyed his laws, but then our reasoning for that became very clouded. I think over the years, even the fear we had is gone until we no longer love God, fear God, or respect God as a nation. Our view of marriage has no significance Things like homosexuality and abortion have become things that are rationalized and justified. We don't look out for one another. Instead, we will step on each other to get where we want to go. And I think sometimes we can sit in our church pews and think, well, that's not the world I live in. But then we leave here and we spend Monday through Saturday trying to fit into it somewhere. For some of us, that means walking so close to the line that divides us and them that you can't even tell it's there anymore. I have found that adults and youth are not that unalike when it comes to curiosity. The day I put this blue line in the youth room, everybody came up, what's the line for? What's the line for? Today I've had adults coming up, what's the line for? I told them it's because Amy said, don't step over the line today. So I put it there. But really it's to represent something. When we spend our days through the week trying to fit in like the world, we go against Romans 12 too. It says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Earlier, I asked you if you were in a fear-based behavior modification or a love-based heart transformation. I don't think it's ironic there that God says, uh, 
the renewing of your mind being transferred because I think he transforms our heart first and then our mind. Revelations 3.15 says, I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And he finishes with the, this. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. The day I did this demonstration, I had carpet laid out and a line down the middle. And I asked the kids, do you spend your days walking so close to this line that sometimes you're here or even over here? And I had some signs on the floor when you're on this side of the line, you're in need of mercy and grace. When you're on this side of the line, you're in need of approval and fitting in. When you're on this side of the line, you're lifted up by Christ. When you're on this side of the line, you're let down by the world. Do you want to be judged by God? Or judged by all? Do you want to live for Christ? Or live for the world? Do you really want to be forgiven and set free? Or do you want to be sucked in by sin? Because what it really comes down to are these two things. Are you being motivated by love? Or are you being motivated by fear? I think if you're letting fear rule you still to this day, then that's the only thing that's keeping you on this side of the line. You're just scared to step over. You want to be in the world. You desire that because your heart is not driving you. Just the fear of crossing that line is. And I told the kids that day, if you're walking through the week like this or even like this and you're coming to church like this, then you're the one that he was talking about when he says, I want to spit you out. He just wants you to stand for something. And I think the only way you're ever going to get there is when you give your heart over for real to Christ. Patrick, would you come up and play something? I had um, I wrote part of this for the youth that day and part of it for today. I said, God does not like wishy-washy people. He says that he would rather you stand for something or nothing, but stop playing games. You should live your life as a Christian on Sunday, and then you live in the world Monday through Saturday. He says, if you let me motivate you, put your faith in the salvation that Christ has given you, let the Spirit lead you, then the things of this world will no longer attract you. But if you're letting fear drive whether you're living right, obeying the rules, keeping yourself on the right side of the line, and you're playing games with God. And I don't know about you, and I don't want to stand in front of God someday and say, but look at all the things I did for you. And he said, yeah, but I just wanted them to all be motivated by love. And none of them were. As we close today, we're going to do our a little different than we normally do. And it's not because I have a problem with the way Aaron closes our services, but 
This is a youth service. And I believe from the way I grew up that there's a, something healthy about sometimes not letting a person stand between you and the cross, but letting the altar be where you go. And I'm just going to ask that you stand. And as Patrick plays, I just want you to bow your head. And just like I ask the youth every Sunday, I just want you to get real with yourself. Not worry about the person to your left or to your right. But ask yourself, you know, I'm not a bad person. Or maybe deep down inside I am. Maybe my actions that I don't let anybody know about are a real reflection of the heart that I don't let anybody know. And if I'm letting fear motivate me, then I really don't have a relationship with Christ. I just live under a ruler. If you feel like that today, then I believe the altar is the best place to dump that fear. And I don't want to drag this out for a long time, but I just want to give you the opportunity I know we have leaders in the crowd, and instead of asking them to come up and stand up here so you can pray with them, I'm asking that you step out and drop it at the cross and let somebody come to you to pray with you. So today, if, if something hit a nerve, there's a reason for that. And I don't apologize for it because I asked God to give me these words, and I believe that he did. I think it's a question you need to ask yourself whether you live a good, pure life or you know you're living in some messed up sin. What is motivating me? Because your actions can easily still be motivated by fear and not be there for the right reason. Father, I just come to you right now, Lord. I lift up every person in this room, God. God, I ask that you give them the Holy Spirit that will allow them to get honest with you today. God, the point of this message was not to make us walk out of here questioning our faith, but make us walk out of here in a deepened faith in you. Lord, I believe there are times that we look back on our life and we feel like we made good choices, but then we look back on our heart and realize those choices were motivated for the wrong reasons. Maybe it was something selfish. Maybe it was something that was going to make us advance. Maybe it was pure fear. But God, I'm asking as a congregation and as a church that you allow us to be a people motivated by your love because the world is already living in fear. And if that's what they see in us, they're not going to want what we have. Let people realize that life with you is not about rules, that when the heart is where it needs to be, the rules don't matter anymore. And Father, as, as people get right with you, God, today, Lord, I just pray you send the Holy Spirit into their life and just like your verse says, to help them keep in step day to day to day until we're with you. Because really until that day comes, God, that's the only time we're not going to be at war with our flesh. It's going to be there for eternity. And just give us the power to know how to fight it off through you, not through our own works and our own doings. Give us the confidence and the security that our salvation is in you, Christ, and only you. If you are a leader here today and there are people up here, I just ask that you step forward. And if you're not a leader here today and you know somebody that's up here, I just ask that you come up and give them spiritual support.
I thank you for your time today. I thank you for allowing the youth to bless us. I definitely believe that I'm the fifth person that preached today, possibly even the sixth after Amy talked. Pray for our youth group. Pray for what's going on over there. Please keep lifting us up, checking in on us. Whether it's your kid over there or somebody else's kid, we need you. We need your love and your prayers and your support. Thank you.